this morning we've got uh, two Bible passages that Helen's going to be sharing from. The first one comes from Second Samuel, uh, and the other one comes from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Kathy and Paul are going to come and read these scriptures for us. But before we do, I just want to share, it, it comes from a, a, a difficult chapter uh, in Israel's history, a, a, a painful time together. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, and then Matthew chapter 18. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel for 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and the, in the hill of the country of Bethel, and 2,000... Uh, oh, is it two? Sorry, I was wondering about that. Thank heaven there's only one Matthew. <coughs> but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Thank you. I was wondering about why that one Samuel one. Right. Um, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shema, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, 
come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred, in fact. He hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So the servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Thank you both. Can we welcome Helen as she comes to share this morning? I know it's a, a jumble. Uh, Grace, we're so lovely to have you, Helen. I'd love Thank to just you. pray for yeah, you, if please. that's okay. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way it can penetrate between soul and spirit. Mm. And we want to invite you today, Lord, to shine the light of your word, the power of your word into our hearts. We thank you so much for, for Helen, for her ministry. And we thank you, Lord, for the chance to hear from her today. And in doing so, to hear from you. So by your spirit, would you rest on her and bless her ministry among us and rest on us and make us good hearers and doers of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you, John, for the invitation. Uh, lovely to be with you this morning. Um, I bring greetings from the Bristol Baptist College. And just before I start, I want to mention that as you may guess now. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some difficult and painful things. And for some people here, sorry, and hello to people online as well, uh, some people here, this is going to connect with you in a personal way. Um, I want to ask you to protect your own emotional safety. If the things I talk about today um, do connect with you in that way, then please don't struggle on alone. Speak to John, speak to somebody you trust. There are organizations that can help and there are people who have experienced similar things who will walk it with you. So, I'll start with a question. Uh, what do the following people have in common? Jean Vanier, John Howard Yoda, Rabbi Zacharias. Well, if I asked you that question 10 years ago, you might well have told me that they are all great men of God who've been used mightily by God for the cause of his kingdom. 
Jean Vanier established an organization called LASH, which is uh, an international federation of communities over 37 countries working with the profoundly disabled. John Howard Yoda was a very prominent and highly respected Christian ethicist and theologian, working mainly in the area of pacifism. And Rabbi Zacharias, probably the best well-known of those names, was an international evangelist whose gift was in the particular area of apologetics. But I'm not asking the question 10 years ago. I'm asking the question today in 2023. What do they all have in common? I'll tell you what they have in common. They were all serial sex abusers. And not only that, but each one of them used his position of power and his position of trust in the Christian community to facilitate the abuse that he was perpetrating. We're going to come back to one of those stories a little bit later, but let's begin by looking at the story that we heard read a few minutes ago, the story of Tamar. And I'd like us to look at this story by considering the four main characters in it. Abnon, David, Absalom, and Tamar. And just in case you haven't got the name straight in your mind, it wouldn't be surprising. We've got King David, of course. And David, having many wives, has, um, has a number of children who are half-brothers and sisters to one another. So we've got Absalom and Tamar, who are full brother and sister to one another. And then we've got Amnon, he's the, he's the, he's the perpetrator in this, who is Tamar's half-brother. And they're all David's children. So let's start with Amnon. Amnon had everything going for him. He was David's firstborn son. He was the crown prince. He lived in a gilded palace. He had servants to attend to his every whim. It's also likely that in the custom of the day, he had a harem, a collection of women whose only purpose was to be sexually available to him. Amnon, the little princeling. Amnon, who saw and desired and took. Amnon, who thought he was above the law. That's a dangerous combination. Power, sycophants, and privilege. That was a dangerous combination then, and it's a dangerous combination now. Let's have a closer look at Amnon's M.O. Well, for a start, this attack on his sister wasn't spontaneous. He wasn't overcome in the passion of the moment, even if that could be an excuse, which it wouldn't be. But here, there is clear evidence of premeditation. He took advice about the best way to have sex with his sister. He laid his plans. He played the long game. He set up structures that could permit him to operate in secret. Servants who, through fear or complicity, would leave a vulnerable woman alone with him in his bedroom. Servants who, through fear or complicity, would throw that woman out of the bedroom afterwards without a moment's hesitation. We might say that he groomed his sister. We might say that he groomed those around him, including his father. Abusers did that long ago, and they still do it today. He claimed to love her. Did you notice that? We're told that Amnon loved his sister. Well, of course, we're operating in translation, and I wonder if that's really the best translation for that word. We're later told that he hated her with an intensity even greater than the love he originally had for her. But did he really love her? Love is patient. Was Amnon patient? 
Love is kind. Was he kind? Love does not envy. Did he not envy? Love does not take delight in evil. Did he not take delight in evil? Love does not insist on its own way. Did he not insist on his own way? So Amnon didn't love his sister, not in the best sense of the word love, but he did desire her. He wanted to own her. He wanted to use her. Notice how quickly and brutally he puts her out of his life once he's had what he wanted. That is not love. He claimed it was. That was part of his MO. Not everything that is called love truly is. The word love was used by abusers back then, and it is still misused by abusers today. And notice something else. He made himself sick. It's interesting how that little word is translated into our English Bibles, and I was interested that our translation had that. Sometimes it says he was sick with love or he pretended to be sick, but he made himself sick. And that's another part of the MO of an abuser. An abuser will reverse the role of victim and offender. An abuser will make out that they are the victim, they are hard done by, they're misunderstood, overlooked, and you fill in the gaps for yourself. He made himself sick. In other words, he made out that she was hurting him. Reversing victim and offender. It's what abusers did back then in the day, and it's what they still do today. Before we leave Amnon, let me tell you a story. It's a story, it's a true story, about a young woman from a damaged background who happened to be same-sex attracted. And this young woman was drawn to Christ and was drawn to his church and was taken under the wing of a minister. And this young woman at the age of 16 was brought into that minister's family home for care and for mentoring. And the minister laid his plans and he groomed her by establishing a bond of trust with her. And he told her that he loved her. And he told her that the same-sex attraction would make her burn in hell, but that he could cure her. And over a period of months, he manipulated her so that she would have sex with him. Sex that she had no desire for, but which he claimed would cure her of her urges, which would make her burn in hell. And then when his crimes became public, she was forced to stand up in the front of the church and confess to seducing him and to adultery. And that's the story of power and privilege and grooming under false claims of love. And that's the reversal of victim and offender. Well, let's now turn to David. Not just David, not just Tamar's father, but the king. And with both of those hats on, he had a duty to protect her. Psalm 72 is a prayer for the king, possibly for a king's coronation. And it's interesting to see what the people pray for, for that king. And, and they pray for the king's prosperity, and they pray for his battle victories and for expanding empire and great wealth, and you might expect all those things. This is how the psalm begins. Endow the king with your justice, O God. And shortly afterwards, O God, may he defend the afflicted. That's the prayer. That he would defend the cause of the poor and the needy. That he would put an end to oppression. 
and he would deliver those who cried for help, and he would be a man of pity. That's what a king should be like. So how did David shape up? Did he defend a vulnerable woman from her predator? Did he put an end to the oppression and injustice when he saw it? Did he deliver the one who cried for help? Did he show pity? Did he show even an ounce of pity? The only emotion David demonstrates is anger. What did he think when Amnon approached him for permission for Tamar to come to his bedchamber, cook bread in front of him and feed him from her own hand? For what disease is that a known cure? What did David think was going to happen? Was he indifferent or was he complicit? What was he thinking? Leaders facilitated abuse through complicity and inaction back then. And they still do it today. So before we leave David, let me tell you another true story. It's the story of another serial sex abuser called Bishop Peter Ball. You may have watched a documentary about him a few years ago. Peter Ball set up a community house and brought young men into it for mentoring and discipleship. And then gradually he groomed them for sexual abuse. Those young men were between the ages of 17 and 25 and they were under the influence of a highly charismatic figure. A number of them complained to the Church of England. Uh, several of them made credible allegations against Peter Ball. And in six of those cases, the Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, failed to pass the allegations to the police. He continued to endorse Peter Ball's ministry. And so that man was free to continue his abuse. Leaders facilitated abuse through complicity and indifference back then, and they still do it today. And so then let's think about the third character in the story, Absalom, Tamar's brother. And he also had a duty of care and protection towards her. And on first inspection, it might look as if he was quite supportive. After all, Tamar ends up living in his house. But scrutinize Absalom's actions a little more carefully, or perhaps we should say his inaction, and we'll discover that he also is complicit in her abuse. Keep quiet, he says to her. Don't say anything. Why does he say that? Why doesn't he loudly protest to the king? Why doesn't he loudly confront Amnon with his own crimes? Well, it's because Absalom has his own agenda. He's envious of Amnon, the crown prince. Absalom's got his eye on the throne. That's clear enough from later actions where he actually conducts a coup against his father. So Tamar's trauma is to him an opportunity. It's an opportunity to discredit his brother. It's a pretext for murdering him two years later. It's a chance to further his own political ambitions. He has no interest in justice for his sister. Be quiet, he says to her. And let's see how it can promote my own agenda. Bystanders, onlookers, they acted like that back then. And guess what? They still do it today. So before we leave Absalom, let me tell you another true story. It's a story that's been emerging for the last couple of years in Canada. For over a hundred years there, there was a residential school system for indigenous children under the auspices of the church in Canada. And over the course of that 
100 years. About 150,000 children were placed in those residential schools, many of them against their wishes and without the permission of their parents. And it's estimated that 30% of those children never came home. Right now in Canada, some of those residential homes are being excavated and hundreds of little bodies are being exhumed from unmarked graves. Those children died from disease and neglect and abuse. When the story broke, a Catholic priest in Canada stood up in the pulpit and said these words. I quote, Two-thirds of the country is blaming the church, which we love for the tragedies that occurred there. I presume the same number would thank the church for the good done in those schools, but of course that question was never asked and we're not allowed to even say that good was done there. That's just one example of the way that parts of the church in Canada are scrambling to protect the church's reputation. It has its own agenda and that agenda does not prioritize the vulnerable or the victim. Bystanders, onlookers, they acted that way back then, and they still do today. Finally, let's talk about the fourth person in this story, the, story, the person at the heart of it, Tamar herself. Tamar, who is trapped between abusive and indifferent men. Tamar, who is entirely subject to the actions of others. Tamar is the only person in this story who speaks with truth and wisdom and integrity. As she remonstrates with her brother, she calls evil, evil. And when her remonstration has had no effect and she has been violated and cast out of her abuser's presence, she continues to conduct herself with dignity. The English translations often say that she went away crying aloud, but that's not just the weeping of personal grief. This is a judicial protest. This is an outcry, and that's a, a technical term. It's the way that a victim obtains justice in the ancient world, by making a public outcry that is an accusation of wrong and a plea for vindication. But no one listens to her. Her abuser does not listen to her dignified plea for righteous conduct. Her father does not heed her outcry. Her brother tells her to be silent and shuts her up in his house. Nobody listened. That was true for victims back then in the day, and is still true today. So before we leave Tamar, let me tell you one more story. And this is the story of a woman called Laurie-Ann Thompson, and you probably haven't heard of her, but you've almost certainly heard of her abuser. His name was Ravi Zacharias, and I mentioned him a few minutes ago. Laurie-Ann Thompson came from an abusive home background, and even though she was married with five children when she met him, Zacharias sensed, sensed her vulnerability and he preyed upon it. And gradually he groomed her into performing more and more intimate sexual favours for him. After Zacharias died in 2020, news of abuses he had conducted against multiple women broke. And people said, why did no one speak of this during his lifetime? Well, actually, someone did. Laurie-Ann Thompson went public in 2017, three years before he died. And first she spoke to a Christian counsellor who told her, don't speak out. The kingdom of God will be damaged if you do. And then she complained to Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries, the organisation which he set up. And they failed to commission an independent investigation into her allegations. 
And then he filed a defamation suit against her. And he accused her of attempted extortion, and he forced her to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And Ravi Zacharias Ministries did not inquire what was not being disclosed. She was widely and publicly mocked and vilified by prominent Christians for making allegations against this powerful man. She was silenced, she was silenced, she was silenced. Laurie-Anne Thompson spoke with dignity, wisdom and integrity, but nobody was listening. It was like that for those who experienced abuse back in David's day, and it's still the same today. Listen to these words from Psalm 94. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They kill the widow and the foreigner and murder the fatherless. And they say this, the Lord does not see. Understand, you fools, when will he be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? It was true back then, and it's still true today. So I'd like to close by asking you a question. And I'd like to ask you whether you find yourself in this ancient story. Is your story echoed here one way or another? Are you Tamar? Are you crying aloud but no one is listening? Are you trapped between powerful people? If so, know this. God is listening. God is paying attention. And there are people who can help you. Speak to John. Speak to somebody else that you trust. If they don't take, pay attention, keep shouting. Raise the outcry. There is help and you can find it. Are you Absalom? Somebody who sees or half guesses that there's abuse going on, but someone who finds it easier to keep out of it. And if so, I ask you this, whose agenda are you serving? And where do the victim and the vulnerable come on your priority list? Or are you David? Someone charged with the duty of care, holding that responsibility too lightly. Are you a leader of some sort with something evil happening on your watch? Are you allowing indifference or even complicity to blind you to what is going on? And if you are David, I challenge you. Are you actively seeking out the voices of the weakest and the most vulnerable? Are you positioning yourself as someone they can approach or as someone that they fear? Or, and I dare to ask the question, are you Amnon? And I can imagine the horror that, that uh, the gasps internally that I even ask the question. Because this is a church, isn't it? Amnon shouldn't be found in church. Well, they shouldn't be found in church, that's true enough. But if the stories I've told you this morning haven't persuaded you already, maybe these statistics will. In an average year, one in 20 adults will experience domestic abuse in the UK. And abuse within the home is as common within Christian families as it is in non-Christian families. It's as common in the church as it is in wider society. God forgive us. 
And that means, statistically speaking, in a church of your size, there will be a number of people experiencing domestic abuse and probably a number of people perpetrating it. So I ask you, are you Amnon? Or maybe you aren't Amnon yet, but you know you could be. Maybe you know the traits are in you. Maybe you know that the need to control or hurt is a temptation you struggle with. And if you are Amnon, know this. There is a judge. And he sees what is done in secret. And he cares for the weak and the vulnerable. Abuse will be judged. And the bottom line is this. You must stop. You must do whatever it takes to stop. And you might need to cut things out of your life. To cut off your right hand or pluck out your eye. To sever relationships or make costly sacrifices. This is the price of integrity and you must do it. You will need to humble yourself and repent. You'll need to repent before God and publicly repent before those you have hurt. And that means you're going to lose control of the situation. You won't get to say how things work out. Repentance and humility will take that control out of your hands. This is what you need to do. You'll need to cooperate fully with the criminal justice system, if that proves relevant. You may need to pay a legal penalty for your crimes. Repentance requires that you fully cooperate with this. This is what you must do. But thanks be to God, there is a saviour. There is one who is able to cleanse us of our sin, to forgive our sin, and to form us in the likeness of Christ. Abused or abuser, we all need a saviour. And somehow, through the great, mysterious wisdom of God, David's own broken family line provided one. Unlike Amnon, this saviour never harmed another soul. Unlike Absalom, this saviour aligned his own agenda to that of those with most need and the greatest vulnerability. Unlike David, this saviour is a truly righteous judge. A man who never did harm to another soul. A man who had power and used it for good. A man whom vulnerable women were safe with. Thanks be to God, he sent a saviour. It was 